I'm going to try my best to jump right into this, but I, I just feel so compelled to, to start off by sharing a couple things with you guys. I'm, I'm looking around and uh, wow, worship, uh, man, there's nothing like worship, amen? amen? Getting to worship the Lord and sing to God and uh, be grateful and thankful to God. And at the same time, he seems to be blessing us through that, um, you know, this morning as uh, they led us and, and as Devin shared and as Devin prayed for us, you know, it just reminded me of, of the last couple of weeks. Um, and you know that uh, Mary and I have been gone and been on vacation and taking some time away and to rest. And uh, so for the first time, we got to, to be at home um, and turn on the live stream and watch and listen. And I was just so encouraged by what, what God is doing in this church and in your guys' lives. And it's not just those that have the opportunity to, to speak and share Obviously, as a pastor, I know a lot about what's going on behind the scenes, but uh, for Gary to share the message he did um, in regards to, to meekness, and then for Julia to share um, about God is not your friend, he's primarily your father, um, and then to, to listen again as, oh, uh, when, we were, when we were gone and to hear Sarah uh, Ruelas uh, leading worship and singing by herself as the only voice uh, oftentimes during those weeks, uh, brought tears to my eyes and even even last week uh, when they sang fill me up uh, I was like how dare you do that when I'm not here and then they did it again this morning so so thank God for that and then and then last but not least definitely to hear Devin this morning lead us and then and then lead us in prayer and then the things that he shared you know a lot of times we, we forget that you know when people are sharing from experience you know uh, the Herberts have been in a season of, of suffering and difficulty and then in many ways when you think sometimes it can't get any worse then there's there's more suffering and a climax to that suffering so we just want you to know that um, we see you we see what God is doing we're praying for you and we're grateful for you um, uh, to continue to lead us when you're suffering it's just a, such a reminder of of our Savior amen? amen he leads through his suffering amen amen, amen. All right, so uh, I get the pleasure this morning of, of doing our announcements and our tithe and offering. As far as announcements go, just go to the website, thewayccc.com. Go to the app, download the app on uh, your app store, The Way Brea, um, or figure it out from there. You'll get in the calendar. You'll see everything that's going on. We just trust that in this day and age, we should be able to figure a lot of that stuff out. So uh, catch up, see what's going on with the church that route. Uh, I want to share this morning for, for receiving our tithe and offering. Like I said, I've been gone for a while, so I get to do a little bit of everything this morning. I want to share out of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 21 through 25. And it says, Then Aaronah said, Why has my Lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Aaronah said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements um, and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Aaronah has given to the king. And Aaronah said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. Then the king, King David, said to Aaronah, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. 
So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. I often uh, think about this scripture when it comes time to give, to do our tithe and our offering personally and then collectively as the church, uh, because I love uh, the heart of David. David's the king. He shows up into a city and, and uh, the people who are there say, why are you here? Why have you, have you even blessed me to come to my house? And he says, hey, I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm here to bless the Lord. I want to build an altar. I want to serve him. I want to make sacrifices. And then the servant says, well, look, you don't have to give of what you have, right? I've got oxen. I've got wood. Take anything you see that I have and give it to the Lord and may the Lord accept you. And, and David, the king says, I'm not going to give to God that which costs me nothing. There needs to be a cost associated with what we give to God. It's supposed to be a sacrifice. It's supposed to be felt. It's supposed to hurt a little bit. And David says, I don't care that I'm the king. I don't care that I can take resources from anyone or anywhere. I'm not going to let somebody else give on my behalf. And I'm going to actually feel what it is that I'm giving to the Lord. I just think that's so important sometimes that we can forget as individuals that it's supposed to cost us something. That it's supposed to hurt a little bit. So every week when we come into this place, we get a little bit of teaching, we get a few scriptures, and it's like week after week, you hear about tithe, you hear about offering, you learn about it. We know that it's the word of God. We see it in the scriptures. Um, and this week obviously is no, no different in that sense, but something I wanted to do today that's been on my heart is just share with you four things that I think uh, were part of why God instituted the tithe, what he's trying to accomplish through the tithe, and what I believe he is still accomplishing in the church today through the tithe. So these four things. Number one is that the tithe places a distinct mark upon his sons and daughters that separates us from all others. As tithers, this, this idea that we give of our resources all the time and everything we have and all of our resources, it's different about Christians than anybody else in the world. If you think about it, are more people surprised that you go to church or are they more surprised when they find out that you give 10% of everything you have? They don't care that you go to church. It's not shocking to them. But when they find out you go to church and you give a tenth of everything you have, it blows their mind. And they begin to get worried or frustrated or they question and they want to talk about it. And they want to convince you, even as non-believers, that you shouldn't be doing that. Why is that? Because it's different about us. There's a distinction about the sons and daughters of God through the tithe. Number two. It places equal value on all of the sons and daughters of God because none have given more. There's something God wanted to accomplish when he says, when it comes to my people, I'm not going to have some that are valuable and some that are unvaluable. I'm not going to have some that, that, that get more praise and get more um, uh, status because they've earned more things and they can give more to the church and they can show their receipts at the end of the year and say, look what I've done. He says, no, a tenth is a tenth. If you have $100 and you give 10, if you have $100,000 and you give $10,000, it doesn't matter. You are equal. Your value is equal. What you've given into the kingdom is equal. Think about the world that we live in today and how important equality is. And look at what God is accomplishing with his people through the tithe. Everybody has exact equal value and exact equal investment into the work of God. That's number two. Number three, it teaches us about sacrifice and it guards us against loving money above everything else. How many other opportunities do we have in life to teach us about true sacrifice? How many other opportunities do we have in life to, to, to guard us against falling in love with money? 
the world that we live in actually causes us to fall in love with money because everything we need costs something. You need food, it's going to cost you money. You want to go on vacation, it's going to cost you money. You want to bless a friend or a family member or send your kids to college. Everything we do has to do with money and resources. So we can find ourselves in a place where it's like, we've got to have it. And that matters above all else. But God has implemented this tide or instituted this tide that guards us against falling in love with it. Teaches us about sacrifice and prioritizing. I think that's an important one. And the last one might be the most important. Uh, I believe that the tithe connects us to the people of God and the house of God in a way that keeps us from walking away so easily. When God calls you to be a tither and you consistently invest of your resources, your time, whatever it might be, your actual dollars and cents, right? You become connected to the people that you're invested to. You become connected to that church and to that house that you've been invested into. Think about it like this. I have a mortgage, right? And I pay that mortgage every month. And it's not very easy to walk away from that house. <laughs> Matter of fact, I love being in that house. I went on vacation. I was like, I want to go home <laughs> to that house that I'm paying a mortgage on. And that's just the mortgage. Imagine that if that's like your tithe, right? Not only do we pay our tithe and we pay our mortgage, but all of a sudden we want to make offerings. We want to make that house more beautiful. We want to make that house more comfortable, right? We, we, we are not going to walk away from that easily because we've invested into it, in our case, for 15 years. Think about that when it comes to what God does through the, uh, the institution of the tithe. All of a sudden, you start to care more about those people. You're invested into those people. You start to think about them when you're not at church, right? Because you've invested into those lives. You start to think about the house of God and you begin to say, man, I want to see that place continue to move forward. I want to see that place continue to welcome others into it. I'm not going to walk away from it. I've been invested there. And I think that's something um, that we can find in, in our life outside of church, but definitely within the church. The investment holds us close to those things that we now find to be valuable. So I think God has a lot that he wants to teach us, wants to show us. I want to encourage you guys. I want to invite you guys uh, to come and see what it is that God has for you and intends for you through the tithe. I want to invite you to draw closer than ever to the people of God and to the house of God during this season, during this time. And finally, I want to invite you to fight for the house of God like King, and like King David, uh, give something that costs you something. All right? Give something that costs you something. If you don't feel it, uh, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're there yet. Amen? Amen. Everybody say, I'm still here. A bunch of people are, are on their phones right now clicking, turn off, turn off. Let's go to another service. I don't want to hear that stuff. But uh, God's in the house. Amen. Amen. Uh, Devin, Devin shared uh, after worship, he said, anoint the pastor's lips and let it be like milk and honey. I, I pray that that was milk and honey for you. You're like, man, that's bitter. That ain't milk and honey. That's lime juice. Don't be all sour-faced. I'm telling you, it's a good invitation. I'm telling you. And I'm, I'm speaking from experience. I have not been a pastor the whole time I've been saved, but we've been saved for 15 years, and we have not only survived, but thrived on 90% or less for 15 years. It can be done, and it's sweet. It really is. It really is. Amen. Amen. All right, so this morning we're starting a new series, and it's called The Invitation. Say Invitation. Like more than one person, say invitation. invitation. All right. So in many ways, invitations have lost their significance. Like even right now, I say, say invitation and nobody gets excited. Invitation. 
When you were a kid, though, getting an invitation to like a birthday party was a big deal. Remember, like somebody I, I know now he's our youngest. I think last year in school, he got his first invitation for a birthday party and he would not quit every day. Can I go to the party? Can I go to the party? Can I go to the party? And I'm like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to take it. I don't want to waste a Saturday. But he wouldn't quit. He was so excited. And I thought about when I was a kid, when you get an invitation to something, you get an invitation to a, to a birthday party. It was like it was like you 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 were in. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Willy Wonka was like come with me and you'll see a world of pure imagination <laughs> you're thinking about it's gonna be great there's gonna be so much stuff I'm gonna be so blessed I can't believe I've been invited remember when you played sports maybe and you got invited to be on a travel team or you got invited to, to participate in an all-star team you were so excited to have this invitation it used to be a big deal, even as adults, when someone invited you to their house. Oh, somebody invited us over. Somebody invited you to dinner, right? Someone invited you to a wedding. You used to be excited about that. But today we've been so bombarded with invitations that uh, it doesn't really stir up anything in us anymore. We get invitations all the time, every day, for this, that, and the other thing, right? We're invited to parties and to uh, places and to weddings and hangouts and causes and movements and be a part of this. So many invitations, it's exhausting. The first thing uh, we think now when we get an invitation is, what is this going to cost me and how much effort is it going to take? <laughs> Look at how much it's changed from when you were younger, when you were a kid, you got an invitation. Now, like you almost dread it. Like you can hear it in their voice. They're about to invite you somewhere and you're like, no. What is this going to cost me? How much effort is it going to take after a long week or after a work day? Our default now is to say no to everything. Even if it's something we like, we'll often say no because we're tired of being invited. And if we do decide to go, we have all of these conditions. I like to golf, so if somebody invites me golfing, okay, I'll go, but Here's my conditions. We got to go early in the morning before the sun comes out because the brother gets too hot out there. Or we can go in the evening when the sun starts to go down, but it can't be down too much because I actually want to get all 18 holes in and I'm not going to walk. So we have to have a golf cart. Okay. If all those conditions are met, I'll go with you. Somebody invites you to dinner, right? We say, okay, I don't really want to go, but I'll go anyway. However, we can't go too late because I don't like to eat late. And if we're going to go to a restaurant, there has to be vegan options. And beyond the vegan options, there needs to make sure that it's got really high Yelp reviews because I won't go any place that has low Yelp reviews. And on top of that, it's got to be on this side of town because that's where my mom lives and that's where I'm dropping off the kids. All the conditions are met. Okay, I'll accept your invitation. Isn't it funny that we almost hate being invited or even inviting people anywhere at this point of life? It doesn't have a positive feeling as much anymore, a positive thought that pops into our heads as much anymore. Even with COVID, you would think that that would have shifted, right? Because we've been home, we haven't been able to gather, we haven't been able to sit with people and go out. You would think that what would happen is there would be this shifting and everybody like, I can't wait to go, just invite me anywhere and I'll go, I'll invite you, let's just go do something. But actually the opposite has happened. People have now used COVID as like the best excuse to turn down invitations. <laughs> Now you don't even have to think of something or say that you can't do it. All you have to do is say, hey, I'm not really, I'm not really ready to, to be around people right now. You have an easy out to every invitation. 
at this point. So why then would we be starting a series on the invitation? So the last two Sundays, I kind of mentioned this, that my family's been away, we've been on vacation, had a good opportunity just to, to get some rest, but I couldn't stop thinking about all the things that I personally want to do as a part of this church. Not just as the pastor, but just as a member, as a part of this church, there's so many things that I want to do, there's so many things that I want to be a part of. And I thought about a lot of them for the members of this church and things that I want to do with them, for leaders in this church, things I want to be a part of and do with them. But I also thought about things uh, for those people that aren't necessarily members of this church. I thought about those who aren't even uh, saved, don't even know God yet, and all these things that we could be doing and be a part of. So God kept bringing this word and bringing this idea of invitation to my mind. So here's what I think. I think it's interesting that God has always used invitations to enter into relationship with people and to deepen his relationships with people. God has always used invitations to enter into a relationship with people. And then those that he already has a relationship with, he uses invitations to deepen that relationship. It's easy for us to uh, look around in 2020 and say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna need a new approach to helping people encounter God and helping those who are in the church go deeper with God. We need a new uh, uh, kind of uh, method, means, um, uh, process to, to help that happen because invitations are done. That ship has sailed. Nobody likes invitations. It's not gonna work, it's not enough. However, what I took away from, from my time away this last couple of weeks and, and prayer time with God, talking to God, thinking through some of this stuff, is that God has not changed his mind about the invitation. I think the enemy has tried to dilute the potency of invitations, right? He knows what he's doing. We have an enemy. Somebody say amen. amen. So he knows that God uses invitations. So what does he do? He bombards us with invitations so that we don't like them, that we don't care about them, that sometimes we don't even acknowledge invitations. I feel bad for even saying this right now, but there are a couple people who have sent me messages about wanting to get together, and I didn't even open the actual text message for two reasons. One, I wasn't ready to commit to it. And two, I wanted to leave it there so I know eventually I will respond. But it, it just reminds me that that's how many of us are. Sometimes we don't even respond to invitations. That's the enemy. But God says, I haven't given up on the invitation. I haven't changed my mind about the invitation. You guys are going to have to see the invitation differently. I think it's a primary tool that God uses uh, to enter into our lives, to deepen his relationship with us, and to uh, help us to see the things of the kingdom. So there's a lot that we can look at over the next couple of weeks. I want to take different aspects of God's invitations for the saved and the unsaved, for the church and the unchurched, and for the inviters and for the invitees. But we're not going to cover everything this week, this morning. I just want to try to lay a foundation of why the invitation and the uniqueness of divine invitations. Why the invitation and the uniqueness of divine invitations. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us an opportunity to worship you. We thank you for giving us an opportunity to be in your word, to be together, Lord. 
to be in person and outside, to be uh, online, Lord. Just you find so many ways to to connect us, Lord. You've given us invitations uh, to be with you and to be with one another, Lord. This morning, Lord, we ask that you would, uh, as you always do, just bless the time that you would accelerate things, Lord God, that you would be a catalyst in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, for us to uh, deepen our relationship with you, for us to uh, see you bring those who are in darkness into the light, Lord, those who are dead, that you would give them new life and breathe life into them, Lord God. I pray your hand over this message, over this word uh, that we have an opportunity to share this morning, Lord. Our desire is, Lord, that we would each be changed. We came into this place one way, Lord, but you want to uh, move some things around, Lord. You want to do some shifting, Lord. Would you open our eyes? Would you open our mind, Lord, to be able to see um, your invitation differently maybe than we have in recent days, Lord God. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So the first thing I want to say is that with God, the invitation is often synonymous with a commandment. With God, the invitation is often synonymous with a commandment. See, an invitation can be accepted and an invitation can be denied and commandments can be followed and commandments can be broken. So let's look at the beginning of God's plan for a chosen people. He says, uh, I want a people, I want them to be set apart. Again, during worship, we heard about these people, these children of Israel and how they were in Egypt. But how did that begin? when it comes to creating this people that would be his children, that eventually would be his church. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Genesis 12, 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So this is where it begins, right? God's calling out this people through Abram. So did God give Abram an invitation or a commandment? I say that they're often synonymous because God, when he speaks, he expects us to comply. That's what a commandment is, right? He's given us a commandment. He just says it, tells us what to do. He expects us, expects us to comply with yes and move forward. However, God also allows us not to comply or to deny, which helps us to understand that we've been invited to experience something, right? He tells Abram, here's what I want you to do. Here's where I want you to go. Here's what I want you to leave behind. Here's what I want you to take with you. But he gives Abram an opportunity to say, yes, I'm going to do that, or no, I'm not. It's an invitation. And then he tells him what will happen if he accepts the invitation. He says, if you do this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless others. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. You're going to be uh, uh, multiplied like the number of sand on the seashore. There's all these good things that are going to happen, but it's an invitation. If you come, if you do what I've asked you to do, if you accept this invitation, there's some good things ahead of you. However, you can deny, you can decline. So it's interesting. A lot of times we think about commandments as if there's no choice, but there is. 
When you look at what happened with, with Abram, those of you that know the story, another reason I think it's interesting that, that he is being invited is it says that he, he asks or he invites or he tells Abram to do these things, but it's not till the invitation is accepted, right? Once Abram says yes and he begins to move and he takes Sarai, his wife, and he takes Lot and they begin to go in the direction that God told him, it's then that he changes his name to Abraham. It's then that he actually becomes, right, the son of God and the people of God are birthed into the world. It's not just because of the commandment. It's not just because of the invitation. It's only after you accept the invitation that the wheels of blessing begin to move, that the change in our life begins to take place. So we're going to look at a story from the New Testament, but I wanted to show that from the beginning, for the children of Israel, for the children of God, for the church, God always starts with an invitation. You have a choice to accept or to decline. But he's always used the invitation, and I think he's still using the invitation. So number one is why the invitation? Why the invitation? I think the character of God's fatherhood gives high value to choice and freedom. When you think about God, when you think about him as a father, when you read through the scriptures and you begin to look at his character, what is he like? Um, how does he act? How does he move? What does he value? What is important to him? Choice and freedom is obviously very, very important to God. He could have forced submission on us. He could have forced servitude on us. He could have forced us to actually love him. If you really understand how powerful and the amount of authority that God has, you have to realize that he could have said, you will love me. He could have said, you will serve me. He could have said, you will sacrifice, you will give, but he didn't do that. Isn't that interesting? He gave us choice, which means choice is important to him. Freedom is, in, is important to him. This last week, been going through the scriptures with some of the men, and we, we came across uh, something that took place between Paul and Philemon. And I think it'll be maybe a little bit helpful for us to understand God's heart for choice. This is Philemon chapter 1, verse 8. And Paul's writing to, uh, writing to him, and he says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable, profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Such a good story. If you get a chance to read through Philemon, um, Paul's telling him, look, you had this man, you had this servant, and he left. He left on bad terms. He's been with me. He's been a blessing to me. He says, I'm going to send him back. And what I hope is that you love him and you embrace him and you don't hold him accountable for who he was when he left. You bless him for who he is when he returns. Right. And then Paul says this. He says, I'm Paul. I could command you. I could just tell you that you're going to do this. And if I hear that you don't do this, there's going to be a problem. But Paul says, listen, I didn't want to do that. Instead, I just want to ask you, will you do this, please? He says, I don't want you to do it out of compulsion because you have to. I want you to do it voluntarily because you want to. 
It's the same thing with God. He says, listen, if I wanted to, I could just command you. If you read through Philemon, later on what Paul says to him, he says, listen, if, if Onesimus owes you money, if he owes you anything, I'll pay it on his behalf. However, you owe me your salvation. I shouldn't have to pay you anything. Without me, you wouldn't even be saved, Philemon. I can just tell you that you're going to accept him, and I can tell you that you're going to forgive him any debt that he has. But Paul says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to invite you to get on my page. I'm going to invite you to be forgiving. I'm going to invite you to be loving, and I hope that you accept that invitation. It's the same thing with God. If he wanted to, he could force and command, but instead he chooses to send us and give us invitations, to ask us to be a part of what he's doing. So why the invitation? Because the invitation shows us as much about God as the inviter as it does about ourselves as the invitees. If you understand the character of God, if you understand why he gives us invitations, we have this opportunity every day to see something and be reminded of something about our God. He loves to give us choice. He loves to give us freedom. Even when he doesn't agree with the choice we're going to make, he still gives us freedom. Think about that character. Think about how hard that is as a parent. When I look at my kids, sometimes I don't want to give them choice. I just want them to do the right thing, so I force them to do the right thing. Other times I'll give them choice, and if they choose the wrong thing, I'll stop them in their tracks and make them do the right thing. But think about our God. He gives us an invitation. He gives us a choice. And then he says, whichever choice you make, I'm going to allow you to follow that through. What kind of God is this that can force but chooses to invite? Man, he's special. The invitation is special. So that's number one. Why the invitation? Number two, the uniqueness of the divine invitation. The uniqueness of the divine invitation. When I say the divine invitation, I'm just saying that we're focused on invitations that have to do with God. I'm not talking about an angel came down and invited you somewhere so it was divine. God parted the, the heavens and said, Vanessa, I have an invitation for you. That's not what I'm talking about. What makes it divine is that it's about God. It has to do with God. It has to do with the things of God. What's unique about those divine invitations? compared to all other kinds of invitations. We're going to read from John chapter 1, starting at verse 23. John chapter 1, verse 23. It says, John said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked John, saying, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. These things were done in Bethbara, Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold! the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You're, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to Jesus, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter... You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So good. Say amen. amen. Say, I'm still here. I'm the divine invitation. How many divine invitations were in that passage? <laughs> They're so easy to miss. And when we read, we don't really think about it this way. But hopefully we're going to open our eyes to this. I count seven divine invitations in that story. Let's look at them. Verse 35. The next day, John stood with two of his disciples looking at Jesus and as he walked and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So John invites his two disciples to see Jesus for who he really is. First divine uh, invitation. He says to them, because they can't see it, this is a spiritual thing, this is about God, it's about the things of God. He looks at his disciples, he's got two of them with him that have been walking with him, following him, he says to them, look guys, behold, that is the Lamb of God. He invites them to see something that they couldn't see. He invites them to see God in a way that they haven't seen him before. Next divine invitation, verse 38, Jesus turned. Seeing them following, he said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Second divine uh, invitation. Jesus invites them to dwell with him. Right? First they see him, then they begin to walk with him, but Jesus makes an invitation. He says, come and see where I live. Come and see how I live. Let's not just walk and talk for a few minutes or for an hour. Come dwell with me into my dwelling place. That's a divine invitation where Jesus says, I want to take you deeper. 
I want to take you further. I want to be more intimate with you. Divine invitation. Third one, verse 40. One of the two heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Divine invitation. Andrew invites his brother to come and meet the Messiah. It's a divine invitation, right? He says, bro, <laughs> I know you've been fishing. I know it's been a long day, but come and meet the Messiah. We found him. His name is Jesus. That's a divine invitation. Second part of verse 42 says, Now when Jesus looked at him, speaking of uh, Peter, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Another divine invitation. What is, what is uh, Jesus doing here? He's saying, look, when you came, you were Simon. But I invite you to be changed. I invite you to be transformed. I invite you to come into a relationship with me that is going to change everything about you. You can be Cephas. But it's an invitation. He didn't just automatically make that happen. It's just like Abram, right? He was invited to follow God and to go where God wanted him to go. And once he accepted an invitation, his name was changed to Abraham. The exact same thing that God did with Abram and Abraham is what Jesus is doing right here with uh, Simon and Cephas. A divine invitation to follow God. Next one, verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Divine invitation. Follow me. Is it a commandment or is it an invitation? Is it something that he has a, an opportunity to say yes or no to? Or does when Jesus says, follow me, does his body just automatically get up and start following Jesus? How many of you actually would like that, though? I really would, because I know I make the wrong decision so many times. I wish that God would just say, serve me, and my body would start serving. I wish that God would say, give, and my wallet would just pop out. I wish that God would just say, love your wife and be kind, and then words come out that are kind and loving. Gosh, dang it. But he gives me an invitation and I open it. It says, would you like to be kind and loving to your wife? If so, meet me here at this place at this time. Philip, come follow me. Invitation. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. <laughs> Man, look at these invitations. Now Philip is saying to his friend Nathaniel, come and see. I'm giving you an invitation. You don't have, think about the invitation. Imagine if Nathaniel was like, nah, I'm kind of busy. Nah, it's COVID. I don't really feel like going out. It's a divine invitation. He's about to meet Jesus. But it didn't come as a commandment. It wasn't forced upon him. He wasn't already in the place that he was supposed to be. Philip came to him and gave him an invitation. Come and meet him. Come and see. Last one, verse 49. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you're the son of God, king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus invites Nathanael to follow him. And just like Abram, again, there are promises of fruitfulness that can be found only through accepting the invitation. God is so consistent. Somebody say amen. amen. 
When God met with, with Abram, he said, hey, listen, I want you to come. I'm making an invitation. Let's go do this. But right there in the beginning, he told him, hey, if you do, here's what you can expect. You're going to be blessed. You're going to take land. You're going to have generations and generations. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And Jesus says the same thing to Nathaniel, right? Nathaniel shows up and, and Jesus says, hey, just follow me. Walk with me. But if you do, you're going to see amazing things. What you just saw right now, me seeing you under a, a, under a tree when you were far away, that's nothing. You're going to see me multiply fish. You're going to see me uh, uh, give sight to the blind. The deaf are going to hear. The lame are going to walk. He said, you're going to see heaven open. Angels are going to ascend and descend upon me. You're going to see amazing things if you don't decline this invitation. If you don't say, hey, I'm a little bit tired. It's been a long week. If you don't say, hey, you know what? Philip's gotten me into all kinds of trouble. I, I'm not following this guy to, to meet you. Divine invitation. So what's unique about these divine invitations? First thing is that they come from God directly and they come from men and women of God. Wouldn't it be so much better if divine invitations only came from God? Like you only woke up and saw a vision of Jesus at the foot of your bed, or you only heard God speak something into your soul. It's happened to me twice uh, in my life where it's been the middle of the night and I heard God speak to me. It woke me up out of my sleep and I could clearly hear exactly what he said to me. And I grabbed my phone and I put it in there so that I wouldn't forget. Imagine if every time God wanted to invite you somewhere that he did that. That would be great because then you'd never have to worry about it. When that happened, you'd be like, oh, yes, I'm going. But that's not what we see in scripture. What we see in scripture is God gives us direct divine invitations and men and women of God give us divine invitations. Both. It sounds funny, but how many people are sitting here or maybe sitting at home? Think about that. The people sitting at home and they're not in church and they say, if God shows up to me and he reveals himself to me, I'll go to church. I'll serve him. I'll give my life to him. Isn't that what the unsaved say? That's what they're waiting for, right? Be honest this morning. How many of you said that before you were saved? Right? If God shows up, then I'll go. If God shows up and speaks to me, if he's real, he can speak. Anybody else? Raise your hand. I want to keep him up. I want to see who used to say that when you were unsaved. I used to say it all the time. If he's real, he'll talk to me, right? How many of you came to faith because God showed up? in a dream and he spoke directly to you and he said your name and said I want you to be saved anybody come to faith that way how many of you came to faith because somebody invited you to church or invited you to a Bible study invited you to a wedding look around isn't it interesting that everybody wants God to make direct invitations but everybody that came to faith was invited by somebody to come into a relationship with God we have to understand how the invitations work Yes, he makes direct invitations, but the numbers would say that most of the invitations that God is making to you and I are coming from other men and women of God. Amen. How do we respond to other men and women of God? Peter came through Andrew. Nathaniel came through Philip. Sarah came through Abraham. 
Like these are the ones that are making the invitations. God is using other people more often than not to make divine invitations to us. And I think sometimes we miss it. This should get you thinking, how many invitations did you turn down before you finally accepted the one that changed your life forever? How many people invited you to church? How many people invited you to a Bible study? I remember being in college and I was playing football and there was like two Christians on the team and they were to me the dorkiest, nerdiest guys. But I look back all the time because they invited me to Bible studies. God was trying to, to save me when I was 18, but I was just denying the invitations. They would show up to parties, everybody would be faded and drinking and they'd have root beer in bottles. And I'm like, you dorks. Now I look back and I'm like, it was a divine invitation and I declined. How many times did I decline? How many times did you decline when God was sending you divine invitation? And think about this. Since you've been saved, if you are, how much fruitfulness have you traded for barrenness because you decline divine invitations? Since you've been saved, I'm not talking about pre-salvation. Since you've been saved and you've been in the church, how many times has God made a divine invitation to you, either directly or through some other man or woman of God, and you've declined, right? And we know what he says. He said, Abram, if you accept this invitation, that's where all the fruitfulness and the blessings and the generations and the changing of your name and the changing of your life and the changing of your destiny, it's going to come from accepting this invitation. Nathaniel, you are going to get to see things that nobody else is going to see but only if you accept this invitation. How many of us since we've been in the church have declined invitations and there's so much fruit out there, but we're living in barrenness. We're living in drought. We're living in hunger. And maybe we haven't stopped to think that maybe it's because we keep declining his invitations. You're not being invited to participate in things or to do things or to go places or to be a part of something because it's, better for everybody else it's God inviting you because he wants to pour out fruitfulness into your life Amen. he doesn't desire for us to live in barrenness so that's the first unique thing about divine invitations is that they come from God directly and they also come from men and women of God the second unique thing about these divine invitations is their purity and their purpose divine invitations have purity and purpose that is unique and different than all other kinds of invitations. When God makes an invitation, it's holy and it's pure and it's all good. And we can't say that about other invitations. How many of you remember being invited to get involved in all kinds of shadiness? Right? Like we don't really, a lot of times, especially for Christians, we don't think back and think about it that way, but pretty much every time I was invited to go somewhere, to do something, to be a part of something, it had a significant level of shadiness in it. There was something we wanted to do that we weren't supposed to do. There was somewhere we wanted to go that we weren't supposed to go. There was something that we, once we got there, we're going to try to make happen that shouldn't have happened. The invitation always came with some shadiness. We want to go out, but we also want to get drunk. <laughs> and we also want to get high, and we also want to hook up with somebody. The original invitation, hey, going out is a good thing, right? But then we mix that shadiness in there with it. How many of you were invited to join some type of get-rich-quick or pyramid scheme, right? 
Oh, it's a good thing if you're going to make money and take care of yourself and provide for yourself. But then all of a sudden you realize how shady this is, man. This is a pyramid scheme and we don't even have a product. We're selling people insurance that they don't need and they don't even understand how it works. There's shadiness in those invitations. And they don't even care how old you are. I remember being like 14 and sitting in some seminar and going home and telling my parents I was going to be rich. I'm like, why did they let me in a seminar, seminary, seminar? and try to convince me and they invited me to be a part of this world-changing pyramid scheme. One of the most unique things about divine invitations is that they never have any of that junk hidden within them. Divine invitations are pure. They are holy. They're good all the way through when they're from God and about God and about the things of God, right? All seven of the divine invitations that we saw in John chapter 1, they were simple, they were pure, and they were holy. They were about meeting Jesus, walking with Jesus, going deeper with Jesus, experiencing things with Jesus. There was no shadiness in them. Not one of them was like, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus and for a small one-time fee. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, hey, come and see where I dwell. And then they get to the house. He's like, hey, I forgot to tell you this, but if you want to come all the way in for a small one-time fee, there was no shadiness in the divine invitations. They're pure. They're holy. What else is unique about their purpose? They're pure, but they also have a unique purpose. Almost every invitation that we receive from people or about those people more than they're about us. Whereas divine invitations are primarily about you as the person being invited. Think about that for a second. Think about every invitation that you've got recently. Has it been about you or has it been about the person inviting you? People invite you to come to their wedding. Why? To celebrate them and to give them a gift. People invite you to join their club or their company to make the club or the company better and so that they can get a commission. People invite our kids to play on club teams, not so that those kids can be blessed, but they're like, man, I want my kids team to be better. And if you're play for another city, I don't care. I'm going to invite you. Why? So that my kids team can get more exposure and that they can be better. It ain't about you or it ain't about your kid. The invitations are about the other people. With divine invitations, it really is about you. God invited Abraham into this relationship because he wanted Abraham to be blessed. He said, you're going to be blessed and you're going to be a blessing. What did God need? Nothing. It wasn't about him. Jesus wanted the disciples to know God and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When he's calling all these people, think about these invitations he's making, right? to Andrew and to Peter, to Nathaniel and to Philip. He's calling them, right? He's inviting them to follow him. Why? So that he could be blessed. He doesn't need anything. It's about them. He's making the invitation for them. He's like, man, I want you to know God like you've never known him before. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to see things that you've never seen before. His invitation is about the person being invited. Even John, think about that for a second. John is walking with his disciples and he says, 
Behold the Lamb of God, go follow him. John's making an invitation. He's saying, I want to invite you to follow God and go deeper with God. I want you to go somewhere that I could never take you. I've taken you as far as I can take you, and now I'm inviting you to go further with Jesus himself. One of the things I love about that story is John's disciples. It says that this happened the next day. The first day you would think would be enough. Jesus shows up. The heavens part, the spirit descends upon him, he gets baptized, and the next day, John's disciples are so committed to John that they're still walking with John. And John has to tell his disciples, fellas, we've reached the end of this road. Thank you for your love, thank you for your commitment. I place you into the hands of Jesus. Behold, there's the Lamb of God. You saw what happened yesterday, let's go. John's invitation, was it about John and, and him being blessed, or was it about his disciples and them being blessed? There's purity and there's purpose in divine invitations, church. So here's the question, is it possible that we can regain the value and the excitement that invitations are supposed to come with? Can we begin to see them the way that we're supposed to see them? When we read the scriptures, can we identify them? We read that, we read that scripture and I said, how many divine invitations? And everybody was, was looking lost. And then we say seven, it's like, really? We don't even see them. How do we get that back? How do we get to a place where we can not only see them and value them, but actually accept them and say, yes, Lord, I accept the invitation, I RSVP. How many of us, even if we do accept an invitation, we refuse to RSVP, because then we're locked in, right? Think about how we deal with invitations. We want to go. We've decided to go, and we still won't RSVP because we know ourselves at the last minute we might decline. And I don't want you calling me saying you ordered me a plate. Man, how do we shift that? It's a big deal. If you really understand what I'm, what I'm preaching on this morning, you have to understand what a big deal is. If that's our uh, character right now, if that's our perspective, if that's how we do, we have to understand that we're doing the same thing with God and we're missing out on so much because of it. You know what will happen? I think maybe if we're able to, to, to shift this a little bit, maybe we'll regain this ability to see when an invitation is pure and when the purpose is our blessing. Imagine getting that skill back, getting invitations and actually being able to see, oh, you know what, this is a pure invitation. This is a holy invitation. You know what? Like the, the, the purpose of this is actually to bless me. Imagine getting that ability back. So this is going to have to wait for another week. But if we can do that, I think what will happen is we will also begin to recognize the difference in invitations that aren't divine, but they're still worth accepting. Let's start with God and recognizing when he's making these invitations himself or through other men and women of God. But let's look ahead and be able to say, listen, if we're able to do that, I think what we'll also be able to do is look at these other invitations that are coming and bombarding us. And instead of making our default decision being no, we'll be able to look at these things and say, you know what? This is actually coming from a good place. This is actually a pure invitation. I've been thinking through this, obviously, as I've been preparing this, this series and I'm actually so blessed that many of the things that I'm invited to do and the people that I spend time with and the things that I'm able to do, uh, a lot of people are actually inviting me for my benefit and for my blessing and from a pure place and from a holy place. And I want to be more aware of that and accept more of those types of invitations. I think we'll learn a lot about how God moves 
how he uses and wants to use invitations in our lives. And uh, I think it's important. So I don't want to end on a downer, but I have to uh, share a little bit about this because I, I want us to see the gravity of a divine decline. This is how we're going to close, the divine decline. Right? We've talked a lot so far about the invitations themselves, divine invitations, what comes when we say yes, when we see it for what it is. Let's close by looking at the divine decline. This is Luke chapter 18, verse 18. Think 18, 18, God's saying this for grown folks, for adults. Luke 18, 18 says, a certain ruler asked Jesus saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. The divine decline. In this world, there's morality and there's immorality. And there are many people who are going to spend their lives fighting that battle. The battle for morality and against immorality. Some are going to be victorious, right? Like this man, he says, man, I've been able to do that. I know the law. I know the commandments. I know uh, what moral decisions I'm supposed to make. And I've been able to do that. So some of us are going to fight that battle and find victory and be moral people. Others are going to fight that battle and find pure defeat and be as immoral as possible. And many of us used to live in that place and some are going to die in that place. The reality, though, is that most people are going to find themselves somewhere in the middle. Not super immoral and not super moral, somewhere in the middle. They're going to fight the battle their whole life and that's where they're going to die. However, God is not interested in that battle because he's told us over and over in his word that the real battle is about sin and righteousness and it's about salvation or death. Let me say that again. God is not interested in your battle or my battle for morality versus immorality. If you read through the scriptures, that's not the battle he tells us that he's fighting or that we're fighting. It's about sin and righteousness and what they result in. They result in death or they result in eternal life, salvation. So look at this encounter again through that lens. Jesus sees this man and the first thing he says is, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. He wants to know, do you know that I'm God? Or do you think that I'm just a good teacher that can give you a little bit of wisdom? That's the first thing Jesus wants to know. And that's the first thing that matters for all of us. Is Jesus God? All right. The second thing he says is, okay, follow these commandments. Be moral. And what does the man say? I've done that. I am moral. I've accomplished that. But think about this for a second. This man understood that even though he had won the battle for morality, he had not received eternal life. Most people haven't even got to that point. They're just fighting that battle for morality. How do I act better? How do I live better? How do I make better decisions? How do I be a better person? This person had got there and he's like, man, I'm here and something's still missing. 
I don't have eternal life and I know it. And that's where Jesus comes in. He says, now that we're on the same page, I've asked you if you really understand that, I've got, that I'm God. I'm figuring out and making sure that you've figured out that the battle is not for morality. Even though you've won that, you know that something is still missing in your life. And that's when Jesus hits him with the divine invitation. Right? What does he say? Verse 22. When Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus recognizes that this man is in a place where he fully understands the real battle. He understands that it's about righteousness in life and he invites him down the only road that leads to righteousness and leads to life. Isn't it interesting that this morning when we started, I said one of the four things that the tithe does, right, is that it keeps us from loving money. It keeps us from putting money above everything else. And what does Jesus say to this person? He says, you love money. It's priority number one for you. You have to sacrifice everything that you love and what you love most, and you've got to choose me. Come follow me. Here's the divine invitation, and here's what it's going to cost. Even earlier, we said that when we get an invitation, what's the first thing we think? How much is it going to cost me and how much effort is it going to require? It's okay to think that way because Jesus is going to answer those questions for you every single time. He says, hey, bro, this is what it's going to cost you. Everything you love. How much effort is it going to require you? You're going to have to follow me and we are walking. <laughs> it's a divine invitation. There's blessings on the other side of it. And then comes the divine decline. Dang it. The divine decline. Verse 23. This man, when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became sorrowful, he said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? I want to read it from Matthew, that same portion, because Matthew makes it clear that it's a divine decline if there's any doubt. In Matthew 19, 22, it says, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He declined the invitation. Jesus is there. He's standing before him. He says, get rid of all that stuff. I can give you riches that will blow this stuff out of the water. Follow me. I am God. You can have eternal life. It's a narrow road. It's a hard road. It's difficult. It's painful like we heard from Devin earlier. But it's the only road that can get you the things that you're asking for. And instead of acceptance, we get a divine decline and the gravity of that decline. Think about it. I thought about it last night a lot. This man held on to his riches. He held on to everything that he had. And at the end, he died and it was gone. Looking back, how much would it have been worth to him to lose everything to have Jesus and to have eternal life? Divine decline. So my prayer for this series is first that we reclaim the awareness of the divine invitations and the excitement of the possibilities they hold. I want us to be aware when God is inviting us to something or to be a part of something, or to go somewhere, to deepen our relationship with him. And I want us to be excited about it. I don't want us to have that initial thought of, I don't want to do that. It's going to cost too much. I don't want to go there. It's going to be whack, blah, blah, blah. 
one of the men that, uh, that I've been meeting with, we were on a Zoom call yesterday and we were like, we usually go for about an hour, hour and a half. We were already two hours into it and he just wouldn't stop. He, he kept telling me, man, I'm so glad I'm here. I'm so glad I'm on this call. But at first, like most of us are like, man, it's Saturday. I don't wanna be on a call. I don't wanna be on a Zoom call. I don't wanna be talking about Jesus. I don't wanna be doing no Bible study. But once you accept that invitation and you get that negativity out of your heart and out of your mind, next thing you know, you're like, oh God, look at the possibilities. Look at what's possible. So that's the first thing I want us to do is reclaim that through this series, being able to recognize them and there's some excitement about them. And secondly, that we become a people who accept more than we decline. When it comes to divine invitations, when it comes to these things that are from God directly or from the people of God, that we would become a people who accept more than we decline. We have to have wisdom. We have to have discernment. We can't just say yes all the time to everything and definitely not in the world. But when it comes to the church, if you look back over a week, if you look back over a month, if you look back over six months and God has made these divine invitations to you, can you look up and be able to say, you know what? I said yes more than I said no. I RSVP'd. I used to say that about one of the, the blessings of the church um, and God moving is obligating yourself. If I know I got to teach children's church, I'm going to be there. You know what that means? I've RSVP'd. If I told somebody else I'm going to pick them up and bring them to prayer, that means I've RSVP'd. I've accepted that invitation well in advance. Man, can we be a people that accepts more than we decline? That when we do accept, we begin to RSVP? I think we'll see some amazing things if we're, if we're able to do that. Amen? Amen. 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 We're going to pray. <clears throat> we're going to invite you, those who are uh, here and those who are with us online. Got an invitation for you this morning. Why don't we stand? Stand in your living room, stand in your backyard, stand in the church, stand outside, wherever you are. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads and think for just a second about invitations that maybe the Lord has been making to you. You heard this message, and before I even make another invitation, I want you just to take a moment to think about what has the Lord been inviting you to see? What has the Lord been inviting you to be a part of? What has the Lord been inviting you maybe to do? What has the Lord been inviting you to stop doing? <laughs> Is it a pure invitation? Is it a holy invitation? Is it really about you? Do you know that it's divine? Do you know that it's from God? It's not infused with shadiness. It's not more about somebody else and somebody who's inviting you. It's actually about you. What are those things that God's already been working on in your life? That he took the time to write out an invitation to you. He put your name on it, mailed it to your house. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you're the God of the invitation, Lord, that you could command and you could force. You could make us serve you. You could make us love you. You could make us repent, but you give us the choice. You love us so much and your character, you value choice, you value freedom. We thank you for that, Lord. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, wherever you're standing, I want to make an invitation to you for eternal life. 
just like the rich young ruler, if you're here in this place, if you're watching, you've got some things that you value. Maybe it's your time, maybe it's your freedom, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your education, maybe it's your savings, maybe it's your house, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your kids, whatever it is, it has value to you. But maybe like this young man, you know in your heart that you do not yet have eternal life. That if you were to pass away today, if you were to get in a car accident, if you were to come down with a disease, if you were to have cancer, if you were to test positive for COVID like so many have, and within two weeks, your time on this earth is up, you know right now that you would not go to heaven. You do not have eternal life. You do not have peace. God is making an invitation. He says to you, I can give you eternal life. I can give you peace. I can give you salvation. But it's going to cost you everything. You have to be willing to lay everything down. Abraham had to leave everything behind and take off. Philip had to get up and follow. It's a divine invitation this morning, but I can tell you on the other side of it, the promises are true. There will be joy. There will be love. There will be peace that surpasses understanding. That means that even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when you suffer loss, you'll still have salvation. You'll still have hope. You'll still have peace and people won't be able to understand it, but you've got to accept the invitation. God will not force you. He will not make you repent. But he does invite you this morning. So if that's you and you want to accept that invitation, I'll ask you just for a moment to repeat after me. Lord, I recognize that I've been invited to forgiveness. I recognize that I've been invited to peace. I recognize that I've been invited to salvation. I know that I've turned down this invitation many times before, but right here, right now, today, I want to accept. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive my unbelief. I lay down everything in order that I would be able to take you up. I believe that you are the Son of God that you died for my sins, that you rose from the grave, and now you're in heaven preparing a place for me. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we pray right now for those that would be saved, those that would have given their life to you, Lord, that those wheels of blessings would begin to roll now, Lord, that you would change their name, change their identity, change their future, change their destiny, Lord God that you would begin to give them visions, Lord, of the things that are ahead of them, the same way that you told Nathaniel that he was going to see greater things. Lord, we pray for greater things for each and every one of those. Hallelujah, Lord. For those that are still with us, those of you who are here, I want to pray. If you feel like you need a shifting in your heart and in your mind when it comes to invitations from God and from the people of God, if you're in a place right now where you look at all invitations the same, whether they're in the world or they're in the church, where you maybe haven't been able to recognize when God is inviting you, 
to do something or to be a part of something or to be empowered to even lay something down. If you want prayer to be able to do that better, to be able to see those things more clearly, would you come to the altar? You guys can spread yourselves out. And then I'm just going to pray over you that you would begin to see the divine invitations. They come with power. They come with purpose. They come with purity. And they come with fruitfulness. There's things that God has for you, but they have to be accepted through these invitations. Hallelujah. We see you, sis. Anybody else this morning just want prayer for, to be able to do that better? To hear the voice of God through men and women of God, through God himself, that you would be Nathaniel following Philip sometimes. That you would be the disciples like John had saying, we hear you, John, and we're going to follow Jesus. That you would be able to be maybe like Abraham and maybe leave everything behind for this new adventure that God has for you. Can I pray for you that you'd be able to recognize those invitations and respond to them? Anybody else that would join these ladies this morning? Hallelujah, Lord. I'm going to pray for a shifting. Ladies, I'm with you. I want to hear God more. I want to be in his presence more. I want to recognize when he's using other men and other women of God to speak into my life and to invite me into a deeper relationship with him. And I want to pray the same thing over you, ladies. Lord, would you bless them? Don't let them decline your divine invitations. Let them accept. Let them RSVP. Let them see all the ways that even right now, in this next week, Lord, you have things that you want them to be involved in. You have things that you want them to see. You have places that you want them to go. You have things that you want them to do. And you're inviting them. You're not going to force them. You are inviting them. Help them to see them clearly that they're from you, that they're unique, that they're divine. And then let them testify of your goodness, Lord God. Let them testify of your goodness, that you're the God who speaks, that you're the God who invites, that you're kind and patient with them, Lord Jesus. Oh, how we love you. Oh, how we need you, Lord. Help us to accept your invitations, Lord. Hallelujah. Before we move on to communion, last one. You've been invited to the altar. Will anybody else accept? Will anybody else accept this morning? I'm telling you, he's here. Like Philip telling Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. I'm telling you, he's at the altar this morning. Would anybody else like to be with him? Would anybody else accept an invitation to come? Like Andrew who ran to Peter and said, brother, I'm telling you, we found the Messiah. This morning, would you, anybody else, would you be willing to accept an invitation to the altar? Would you come? Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this, this second moment because you're the God who keeps making invitations. Thank you for reminding us of that this morning, Lord. Many of us have gotten to a point where people have denied our invitation so many times that we don't invite them anymore. And many of us have been taken off of others' list because we've declined so many invitations that they don't invite us anymore. But your mercies are new every morning. Your grace is sufficient, Lord God. Every day, multiple times a day, you keep inviting us. 
You're never discouraged. You're never deterred. We've never gone so far. We've never denied so much that you won't continue to invite us, Lord God. Lord, we thank you that there is equality in your economy, Lord. That those that responded to the first invitation, they don't get a better seat at the table. They don't get a plate that's more full, Lord God. They don't get more blessings in their life. They don't get more blessings over their children and their families, Lord God. It doesn't matter when we respond, Lord. Your scriptures tell us that many worked from the beginning of the day and they received the denarius, Lord God. And there are some who came and only worked for 15 minutes and they received the same, Lord. That's how you are with us. It doesn't matter when we respond, as long as we respond, all you have for us is blessings, Lord. For, for our second wave, Lord God, for our second wave, Lord, pour out your blessing. Get those wheels in motion, Lord God. Change the names, change the identities, change the futures, Lord God. Let them have an amazing week, too, of hearing from you and hearing from you through others this week, Lord God. And let them testify of your goodness. We love you this morning and we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen.